Okay, welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is Discourse. I have Key Cable with me today, and I'm Hunter Pons. Key, let's get into it. Tell me about yourself, where you're from, how it all happened, where you are today. Let's do it. Oof, that's big questions. Yeah, serious questions. All right, well, I was born and raised in Utah. Yeah. I grew up in South Jordan. Okay. Um, youngest of four siblings, so the spoiled brat of the family. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> A little bit. Um, but yeah, so raised here, um, my family, we were LDS till I was about 13. Okay. So super strict religious household. Um, Up was, until that point. Yeah. And then it kind of all changed from there? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? it did. We, we did a little, uh, a jump and a hop and a skip over to a different religion. <laughs> and what spurred that on? Honestly, my mom and my dad had some disagreements when it came to the church and what they kind of landed on that what they loved was just the gospel. Okay. Um, and so we switched from being um, Latter-day Saint to just being an evangelical Christian. Oh, so it was just like kind of a different strand of Jesus. Um, yeah. But it definitely changed the way that we like engaged as a family. Mm-hmm. So like when we were Mormon, it was fairly super strict. Our behavior was kind of regulated. When we switched to evangelical Christian, like I don't know if you've ever like been in an evangelical church before? No, I've never, yeah, I've certainly not been in a church, you know, yeah. It's, it's like a, you know those churches that seem like a concert? Like yeah. there's smoke machines and out. lights, yeah. Like uh, the Righteous Gemstones, have you seen that show? Straight up, that's okay. 100%. Okay, I've got it, yeah. the image is there. And okay. like the pastor, the skinny yeah. jeans, and like the weird outfit, that was, that's that was it. the church, yeah. And there's some <laughs> of those here? In, oh, in, yeah. Really? Okay. Well, and, and we can get into it more, I actually like was super invested in church from, so we switched over when I was like 13, and then I got really involved when I was like, God, like 17 maybe, and I started working for the church, like as oh, a pastor. Okay. As a pastor, like, yeah. like a youth pastor type thing, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, gotcha. so I like, I, I was in charge of like elementary to high school aged kiddos, um, which was like really fun, except for like, I'm super gay. <laughs> so it got less fun <laughs> progressively. Oh, that's good. Cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're like, this is a great time, but little... <laughs> so what was that like? Because it's like, was that ever a factor in you guys first transitioning from LDS into evangelical, and then how did that influence that, or was that not a factor at all? Like, no one was talking about that. Honestly, I feel like everyone could have told me I was gay by like the time I was like seven okay like i wore like a freaking button-up polo to hawaii yeah (laughs) because i didn't want to be like in a like a female swimsuit like someone should have told me yeah and i always wore khakis like (laughs) so i actually don't think i knew that i was gay till i was like 17 maybe like i didn't really admit it to myself oh right when you were taking that pastor role yeah yeah which was okay very complicated and confusing and because you were so in it, right? To yeah. be able to be wanting to do that at the same time. Totally. It's, were, yeah. yeah. I loved it. I I loved the community. I loved like what we stood for. I loved working with kids. Um, but I, now as an adult and I look back, the big draw for sure was I, I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. There was an <laughs> another female pastor that I was like oh. super interested in. Gotcha. And so we worked together and then she ended up being like my first girlfriend. 
while really? I was a pastor. Wow. The okay. scandal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, we need to heat things up in here. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, that was kind of the the life was like pretending to be something I wasn't on stage and like writing yeah. sermons and, and leading kids and families. And then in that same church parking lot, like mm-hmm. going on dates with my girlfriend who also worked totally. at the church. <laughs> That's interesting. Cause it's like those things like don't necessarily have to be like at odds in my mind, you yeah. know, it's like, cause it's like, you were totally that person. I'm guessing you were still loving being a pastor and all that stuff, but it's like, yeah, it's not in line, but at the same time, it's just kind of like who you are as well, mm-hmm. just like the other pastor too. Totally. Are they still doing all that stuff too? Or like, how long did it last before that all kind of like crumbled down? Oof. Um, I would say we were on and off for probably the entire time I worked at the church. Okay. Um, and so kind of what happened was we were in hiding, I guess, um, for a couple years, um, switching between like oh, this is good, and, like, I love you, and, like, this is, you're my person, and then mm. that shame filled of, like, this is wrong, and, like, yeah, we're choosing sin or, or whatever, um, back and forth for a couple of years. It was really tumultuous, um, and then it got to the point where somebody in the congregation outed us. Oh, wow. Um, so, and then it, it got up to our, like, lead pastor, and unfortunately, like, it kind of came out to the rest of the congregation, and we picked very different responses to it, so she is fantastic lovely human being kind of decided to distance herself from that church and left yeah and i dove really head first into the shame component and spent a lot of time basically doing conversion therapy Oh, because i thought it was the only way that i could i don't know have my family and my community and and stay there Um, yeah because that's like your it was your whole world basically yeah you're like i'm not giving that up right now totally yeah so I spent a couple years, I would say, like my college years, really invested in this uh, person who was technically my leader, but like, you know, every therapist I've ever had post this is like, no, that was like, that was conversion therapy. Like, let's yeah. call it what it was. <laughs> totally. Wow. So yeah, like kind of went head deep into that. And I, but I really just, I just wanted to be good. Like I, I loved the people I was with and I knew that the only way that they would let me stay was if I tried to like, quote unquote, like leave that lifestyle, which is hilarious to me now because it's like, yeah. it's just who I am. And that's, and it's a tiny sliver of who I am too. Like it's very, yeah. it shouldn't have to take up that much space. But so I did that for a while and then I just got to a point where it's just too much. I just yeah. had to make a choice of like, do I pick like, myself? Hey, you did or? everything you can. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you did everything you could to see if that wasn't who you were. <laughs> you know, Legit. you really tested yeah. it out. <laughs> My poor boyfriends oh from my, my church days. God. Shout out to y'all. Hope you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're fine. It wasn't your fault. <laughs> I promise you were fantastic. Yeah. I just didn't want you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Man, there's so much going on there. I mean, I just want to dive into all of these things. But it's like, it's kind of interesting to me too. Well, just like, talk me through a little bit like, because you said you knew we were gay from when you were very young. You know, far before, you know, you even went through puberty or anything like that. And that's just kind of like how you felt and everything like that. And yet you were still so into all the religious stuff, too. Mm -hmm. That was keep on giving you subliminal messages that you should not be acting that way at the same time. And so, like, I'm guessing most of the time you were just kind of thinking, like, I get that these are at odds with each other. 
but like but because i believe it i mean what else do i do mm-hmm. you know did you ever feel like i i've wondered this too like did you ever feel like this will definitely come to a head at some point in my life and it just felt like you were kind of delaying the inevitable i i think in the back of my mind i knew yeah like eventually this is gonna blow up like i can't keep this secret anymore but i think when you're like so invested and so deep into that kind of jargon and that kind of community those subliminal messages that you mentioned like it's hard to have any forward thinking i think you're just trying to survive day to day yeah um so but yeah i think i like i always kind of knew it in the back of my mind and i i look back now and i laugh really hard because like watching like disney movies Mm. like i always imagined myself to be the prince always interesting and like always identified like aladdin man oh my guy like and i always told people like oh i had the biggest crush on aladdin no i just wanted to like be no you related to that character yes that is so interesting and i i think too i just always heard from people like oh you're just a tomboy and like you're just prefer more masculine things and like your future husband's gonna love that (laughs) i was like cool you're a a guy's girl (laughs) yeah yeah a hundred percent and it just it makes me laugh now because it's just it was so obvious Mm. but i tried yeah i wore the dresses yeah i went to prom (laughs) never really clicked Mm -mm, not at all that's so interesting because it's just like you know i think with myself where you know I, you know, I've had struggles, but it's like, that was never something that felt weird to me, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, that all kind of made sense to me as a kid, just like, okay, yeah, no, I, I, I identify with that and that makes sense. You know, I, I like girls, but to have that not be how you feel, but that's definitely how everything's set up to be in the world around you, man, I don't know. I just, I don't know, just, just with your entire life, that being the case, and then now, I guess, where do you sit now with that? It's like you're, you're, you're living your life where you, you express yourself in the most authentic way possible now than you ever have in the past. Mm-hmm. How different is that now? Like, how do you see yourself, right? Yeah. Or you, I don't know if I'm asking no, that that's, in the right way. It's yeah. a great question. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, like with the society we live in, and, and we live in a fairly religious environment being in Utah, Yeah. Um, I think there was a huge gain by coming out and being authentic, but there was also a huge loss. Mm. I remember very distinctly when I made that kind of final decision to like kind of leave my conversion therapist in that community. And I, at the time I, I moved in with my, my previous partner, I think I lost like, God, like 50 friends overnight. Mm. And like, and being in a church, a large church, you know, a lot of people. So yeah. it just seemed like, Boom, boom, boom. I don't know if anyone's had this experience and it, I don't know why it was, it hit so hard to me. Maybe it was because it was visual, but like Instagram followers, like just decreased like overnight. Oh, cause that was it, your whole community there. Yeah. yeah just uh-huh. like everybody unfollowing and like choosing to no longer engage. Um, so in some ways it's, it's really beautiful to be who I am because I feel like I've attracted people in my life that really just love me. Mm. And it's no matter what happens, like they're never going to turn their back or leave it it wasn't conditional anymore but like starting over with a new community it was was the tough it was very isolating Mm. because at the time I just had you know my partner and um and and the hard thing too is like the gay community as much as we are fantastic and lovely like we do struggle with a lot of shame and and trauma and so it's really easy to get into like substance abuse and like the party scene and that's 100% where I went Mm. um when I first was coming out so it's 
fast forward a couple of years, like I'm so content with who I am and like the people that I have in my life, but it, it was definitely pretty difficult to just feel like safe. I think, I think yeah. that was the biggest loss was the community and, and feeling like I knew who I was. Like it was just like going through puberty again or like yeah, starting like, over. It was like everything that had nurtured you and cultivated the person you were mm-hmm. was no longer there. It's yeah. suddenly gone. So yeah. now you're like, who am I going to become with this, this new group, you know? Yeah. Not just like this new identity that I'm now living, but just like with this entire new group of people that see the world differently. Yeah, hmm. for sure. Interesting. This is, this might be a weird question, but like, you know, with, you know, you being religious for so long and there was so much shame tied to that, I see with, you know, a lot of people where it comes to a point where it's like you can no longer be religious in that way anymore like it's a lot easier to just like distance yourself completely than to try to be like half in Mm -hmm. and half out of it and be stuck with still trying to resolve this one thing that's going to cause shame if you think about it too hard you know um do you see do you see yourself do you do you still consider yourself a spiritual person it's a great question i don't think it's weird at all yeah (laughs) um i actually tried to do that like half in half out for a long time yeah um so when i was with my previous partner, like, I really tried to stay, like, church adjacent. Like, I remember, like, going to church with my girlfriend at mm. the time and like, trying to make it work. Yeah. It was a new community for sure, but it definitely wasn't an affirming community. Mm. So, and that was just exhausting to the point where I just got so resentful towards church people and religion and to the point where I, I just cut everybody off. I was so angry. Like, mm. I was so mad. Yeah. Um, and it's taken a long time, <laughs> too much therapy. <laughs> My therapist just paid fancily. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're paying their salary. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, thank goodness for key. I can yep. eat. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think now at this point in my life, like I, I still feel very connected to, I do think that there's like inherent meaning and purpose. And, and I think that people are valuable and intentional, um, whether there's like a God on top of it yeah, or we create that meaning or like maybe there's like an, an energy kind of thing. I don't know what it is. Um, but I, I think I just refuse to believe in like definitives anymore. Yeah. Um, and I'm more just like open. Right. Cause you realize just how much we don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cause it, you, you, cause it's like from your background, all those things felt true. There are a lot of things that felt awesome, but clearly we don't really know a lot still. Oh yeah. But everyone's acting like they do is the problem, right? That's so true. I mean, that's, you know, that's the trouble with me as well. It's just like, we, we, we beat these drums a little too hard where it's like, but man, if we think about it a little more, how would we know that? Right. Mm -hmm. And people have different ways of determining how they know which things. And when it comes to religion, I kind of just go like, you know what? I got to take that <laughs> all with a huge grain of salt, you know? Yeah. Cause I, for every person that tells me I know this, I'm like, well, I can tell you all yeah. these others that say they know that's not true. So mm-hmm. where are we going to meet in the middle here? So. Yeah. I think humans are fickle. Like I think we, we think we know more than we do. We think we're, we're bigger. Yeah. Um, we're very like egocentric things, um, which is fine. But I, I think like, I'm now just trying to like detox from like power and dogma. I think that's where it's been hard mm. for me is like any church or any group that tells you like, this is exactly the way it is. And there's no exceptions. Like I usually steer clear from, um, yeah. I think like it was really hard for me to, to like go of like strict theology for a long time. But then mm-hmm. I, I had experiences where like I could be 
for example, like in a church, like in a worship service surrounded by people I loved, I'm like, I felt this deep connection to people. And then fast forward a couple years later and I'm in like a drug house with a bunch of gay people smoking weed and I felt the same way. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like, uh-huh. which like, you know, could be a, a poor decision or a good decision depending on who you are. But at the time <laughs> it was, it felt safe and it felt like there was something bigger than myself and I found it in two very different places. Yeah, you're like, hold on. You told yeah. me I couldn't feel that here. <laughs> yeah. That's what you guys were saying. Uh-huh, for sure. So I think that's what's so funny about it is like, why are we so obsessed with certainty? Like yes. the only thing that's permanent is like impermanence. So I, I, it's, it's wild to me that people can claim things so intensely when, like you said, other people can, can claim the exact yeah. opposite. Yeah. And it, it seems we'd, we'd rather be ignorant and certain than, you know, just a little bit unsure. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Ignorance is bliss. I think. Absolutely. Right. Um, it, I could talk all day about that because <laughs> it drives me so crazy just because it's like, I feel like, you know, we all have, you know, since we were kids, we've kind of been shedding away these layers of ignorance that we've had and tried to become more enlightened. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just like, I think of myself as a kid and how much I didn't know. And then now and how much still there is to come, but it's so easy to think, man, I kind of figured it out. But clearly with your life, it has been an ongoing process. You seem to me now probably to be in a better place than you have in the past but still so many questions left to be answered right? oh for sure so many things still to work on um how do you feel about the future you know with yourself how do you feel like because you felt all the shame in the past and you've worked through that and now i assume you feel that a lot less do you still do you see a point in the future where that is no longer a thing for you at all or are you there now you know, I don't know. <laughs> Again, my therapist has paid yeah, so much money. Like, so maybe, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that like, I think I've just shifted in my perspective of, I think with religion, like they can hand you step by step. This is what your life is going to look like. Like you're oh, going to yeah. get married. You're going to have kids. Yeah. You're going to be involved in the church, blah, blah, blah. Whereas I feel like I, since leaving that, have really struggled of like, what the heck is my purpose? Like, what am I, mm. if I'm not if I don't have a relationship with God, like why am I here kind of thing? So I I still think like those questions keep me up at night, but I feel like I don't feel that my value is like intrinsically tied to like what I do anymore. Like I think Mm. it just kind of come down to like, am I with people I love? Am I loving people well? Am I growing? Am I learning? Yeah. Um, And, and trying not to plan it out so much. Like I I feel like I used to use prayer as this medium for clarity of like, Mm should I do this with my life? Should this be the next step? And that was also another hard thing to lose was like, yeah, I no longer pray yeah. anymore. And so now it's just like going into myself to figure out like, what do I want? Instead of asking God, like, what should I want? Mm. It's a very interesting transition. And I think because I spent so many years in religion, like I don't feel like I know myself very well. Like that, which is why I'm like, I feel like the future is so open like, it kind of scares me more than anything because I, like, for the first time in my life, I don't have a plan. Mm. I'm just doing my best. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're just trying to come up with it with whatever feels right. Yeah. yeah, which is scary when, like, you, or at least in my experience, like, I wasn't taught to trust my feelings ever. 
like more than anything it was more of like distrust them yes yeah. of like you're you know the heart is deceitful above all things yeah Throw some biblical some verses in there but like yeah yeah that your your initial reactions your responses are like of the devil or like that they're inherently sinful and like you have to turn to god so it's like i've had to take a lot of time to just like trust that like what i want it could be a good thing and yeah. like it maybe it could be bad and then you just learn from it yeah absolutely yeah, because, you know, and, like, with the LDS faith, it's a lot of talk of, like, the natural man, right? It's just, mm-hmm. like, it's, a, it's an enemy to God. So you right. need to really rein that in. And um, w- w- which is so at odds with what the reality is, is, is that people, you know, are, and when, in the LDS faith, it almost always is talking about sex, right? When we're talking <laughs> yeah. about the natural man. That's what we're talking about. We're talking to mainly dudes about sex and then women when they're gay, right? right. And then <laughs> it's about sex again for you, right? Yeah. Um, but, but if you're a straight woman, sex doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, so but it just, doesn't exist you're, for you, you're so you're pure. good, right? Like, no. yeah. yeah. And if you think about it, I guess that's okay, but of course you don't think about it like the way they think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, as a kid too, I was like, I feel like that kind of jacked me up because it was like, I, you, you understand that, these things are totally in opposition where it's like, we want you to have sex. We want you to have a good sexual relationship with whatever, you know, whoever your partner is and to have kids and all this stuff. Well, just kind of ignoring that that's the same thing as sex, as yeah. this other thing that we're talking about and demonizing quite a bit. Yeah. Right. That played head games with me, you know, <laughs> serious head games. <laughs> Purity culture is wild to me. Cause yeah. it's like, you could be until you're married. It's just like pounded down your throat of like, don't do this, don't touch this, don't think about this, blah blah blah. Yeah. You get married, and then like overnight, you're supposed to be like this intensely sexual creature, specifically for women too, because it, it was always in in those spaces for me. It was always targeted towards like you need to please your husband, like you need to like be a certain thing for him, and which is like so wild to me because then it's for years up to that point, it's like, don't even think about sex. Like, how dare you, you dirty thing. <laughs> Which, like, as a gay person is like, oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. I actually feel like I got away with it, though. Like, everybody in the church saw me as, like, so pure and, like, so in control of myself because I just would never sleep with my boyfriends. It was crazy. Because you, you were never tempted in that way. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, like, from the outside, I was so holy. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was so good at that. No one could touch you. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. yeah. I was like, don't, don't. <laughs> Please touch don't me. touch me. Yeah. That's not going to work. Uh, but yeah, no, I remember that. And I, I feel like I still have shame, like, in, like, my sex life now. Like, and yeah. I'm so detached from religion and those type of norms that, like, there's some times where, like, there's some nights where I'm just, like, so filled with shame. Really? And still held by those, the things that were taught to me. And I, which is exhausting because it's, I don't, it doesn't have authority over my life anymore, but yeah. it, does subconsciously i don't know if you felt that way but yeah (laughs) yes yeah totally i mean i'm just thinking too just uh it's like i'm yeah it is it's been like a lifelong battle with shame you know i'm just thinking about like who i was in high school and it's just like there's so much shame involved just you know having thoughts you know that you know we're fine totally fine and normal but you're just beating yourself up because you're like, I can't be thinking about this. You know, this is gross. But then, you know, and then yeah, when 
I, I got to college and then we st- start talking about suppression, you know, leads to obsession. And I'm thinking about, yeah, man, I was thinking about sex way more than I needed to. <laughs> yeah. If I just felt okay that I could think about it sometimes, you're oh, right? And for you, sure. And you can just like, almost like in a meditative state, you kind of like let thoughts come and go. Mm-hmm. When you become obsessive or OCD in any way, it's like the thought comes in there, stays and just gets bigger and bigger. Oh, I yeah. guess maybe is that what you're talking about with the shame thing where it's just like, yeah. you know, you're, you're doing these behaviors that like before you thought were so wrong and it's totally fine. And you don't think about them, but then one day for some reason it just kind of lands there and you just can't stop oh. thinking about it. Yeah. That rumination is the worst. And I think too, like maybe mine is a little bit more intense than others. I remember after leaving like conversion therapy, I got diagnosed with religious OCD or mm. scrupulosity. Scrupulosity. Okay. Yeah. So when I do get in those like shame, hazes or fogs is kind of the best way to describe it like it i get stuck Mm. on certain thoughts and they spin for like hours days months even um i remember maybe a year and a half ago now man it's been a long time um i a little bit more vulnerable i basically had like a nervous breakdown for like three months and i like was hospitalized for suicidal ideation and all that stuff because i just could not get the thoughts out of my head. I think yeah. I, I sat, <laughs> my poor parents, I moved back in with my parents, which was like kind of a low for me because I'm very independent. Um, yeah. And I cried and I took baths and I think I read in three months like over 300 books oh, wow. on theology and being gay or in, like being queer and biology books and oh, just wow. anything I could get my hands on to like make sense of like my experience because I think I had uh, to. Well, and oh, sorry, sorry, was this before or after the conversion therapy? It's thing? after. This was after. Okay, gotcha. After. Yeah. Um, so I like basically broke up with my partner, moved back in with my parents, and was just spiraling. Like I had to. Mm. It got to the point where I was like, I need to disprove the Bible completely or I mm. need to go back to religion. Um, and I feel like it got to the point in my research and my studies where I could let that go. Like, let go of the Bible, let go of religion. I felt more confident in my identity as a queer person than I did in, you know, God or or at least the Christian God. Um, So, but yeah, that rumination, that shame is, it's scary. It's so intense and it's, yeah, like it's, it's like triggering even to think about. It's rough. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's been, yeah, it's, it's been a journey for me as well and you know, it's so strange because with um, my wife, Denali, it's like, it's almost unrelatable because it's like, it's hard to understand how much that influenced her as well because it's like she's been so used to being seen as like a non-sexual person, you know, Mm -hmm. completely non-sexualized. And because of that, like, it it is hard for her to view herself in that way, you know, Mm -hmm. that's difficult for her in some way. I I hope she doesn't mind me saying crap (laughs) but no no it's it's fine i think it's actually a that's a really common thing for religious women because they're just like yeah and those who for whatever reason get really hung up and feel very sexual despite being told they're Mm non-sexual then it seems like that's an even worse deal than the men who are told (laughs) to control your urges but we know you're animals Mm -hmm. versus the women who we know you're perfect, so you don't even have to worry about it. Right. And I felt really bad for those women because I, I just, I can't even imagine that because there's always like this caveat that it's like, well, you're a dude, you mm-hmm. know? That's yeah. why it's hard because yeah. it should be. And you're like, okay, it doesn't help <laughs> me. Like, you're still telling me it's wrong. Um, right. 
uh, but as opposed to the other and man that is just yeah it's totally been a lifelong journey trying to trying to understand that but um you know i just when you were talking i was just thinking about because you kind of got to sort of like an ultimatum point where you're like i need to know that this is completely untrue yeah in order to move on and i felt that at times too where it's like holy cow like i just need to either pick one side and one has to be totally 100 percent because um, that would make things so much easier oh, if yeah. that was the case. Black and white? Yeah. Fantastic. That would be fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, and you and you talked about you going through that. But at the end of the day, did you come to that conclusion where you're like, I'm 100%? Or did you kind of go with like, okay, I'm not going to be, a, like, it's not 100%, but I just got have to accept that, like, I got to go this way, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I think, um, I don't think anything's black and white. Yeah. I think that there's still things that, like, I draw from the Bible or the Christian church that I still apply to my life today. <laughs> so it's very much in the gray. Um, I think uh, for me, it got to a point where I was being introduced to so many different types of Christians and like their approach to theology. And like, there's mm. so many queer Christians out there. There's so many people who yeah, are. There are. Yeah, there are. I saw some things on this and I was like, holy cow, there's whole churches devoted to that sort of viewpoint. 100%. Yeah. Which I didn't know that was even an option. Like, yeah. Or the, those people even existed. So I think like reading, um, there's one really fantastic book and uh, it's there's a lot of people who disagree or fight against it, um, but it's called God and the Gay Christian by Matthew mm. Vines. Okay. Um, and I think that was such an interesting, I think he was a, he worked or he worked, he, he went to Harvard. Okay. So very intellectual guy and yeah. he like was a raised Christian and he's gay. Mm. and chose celibacy up until that point but then made like a biblical argument for the inclusion of like lgbtq people yeah and that was just so impactful for me even though i didn't agree with you know 100 percent of his argument but like it gave me the freedom to disagree mm. that like i have the ability to to read the bible as is and to have conversations about it rather than just like listening to the person on stage tell me what's true um, it like gave me some power back or some authority back in a certain way. So I, to your question, like it's still very gray. Like yeah. there's days where I wake up and I'm like, man, I wish I still believed in God. Mm. Like I wish that there was something for me to pray to. I wow, wish that I had so like the comfort yeah. of answers. Yeah. Like that. And even after like that nervous breakdown, I've, I found myself kind of drifting back to it because it was just, I miss feeling comfortable. And like having the answers, whereas the the unknown is very vast and and scary, and like choosing to live in the gray is a lot harder than mm. choosing to live in spaces that are kind of spelled out for you. So yeah. I do miss that. So it's like now you feel it's like you're happier, but maybe just not as secure. Is yeah. that the word? Like you just don't feel as secure despite being happier. Yeah, that's trippy because it's like <laughs> I well I don't know I just like I think that's true like we, we kind of like put happiness in a box and think like if you're happy that means like you have no doubts like you have no worries you have no problems you know you're righteous you know you're doing the right thing and I'm just like I don't know about that because I just yeah well I don't know about it because I've almost never felt that way in my life mm-hmm. you know so it's like I, I really just like I remember because you know I I served a mission in Korea for a couple oh, years wow. and I remember asking a missionary, I was like, how often, like proportion wise, how, how often were you happy? He's like about 80% of the time. I was like, maybe a good 10. 
you know? <laughs> that's like a solid 10, 10%. Wow. That's me in general. Like, I'm a person that, like, it's really hard for me to, like, feel really amped or stoked about life. Like, I, I really, you know, that's why, you know, I enjoy being with my wife, Denali, all the time because she has a real zest for life, even yeah. though things are definitely hard for her, you know? <laughs> <laughs> things yeah, are like, sure. you're having a hard time. Yeah. She's like, what are you talking about, you know? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, uh, I, that's who I am. I've always have found it really hard to be happy, but I found that like when I've pulled away a little bit from my relationship with the church that was causing all this shame, um, didn't change that much. And I had, um, like the lows weren't as low. Does that mm. make sense? Like I felt like I was just do- going up and down yeah. when I was in the church. Like I had Definitely. these moments where I'm like, I feel like I'm on the top of the world. And then you just had moments where you felt in the pits. And now I feel like a lot more just in the middle. Oh, yeah. You know? That hilltop experience, too, is yeah. addicting. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, man. I remember being, like, on stage. And, like, obviously, like, uh, the LDS church and, and evangelical church is very different mm-hmm. in functionality. Like, evangelical is, like, again, the smoke machines, the lights, the crazy. The yeah. Water. Performance, it, you know? It is. And I can see that oh. being addicting in the atmosphere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Especially, like, being the one leading it. Like, yep. it, it's just Get behind me, trip. guys. Here we go. Ugh, I have a hard time <laughs> believing that, like, maybe this is a hot take. But yeah. as someone who was a pastor, I have a hard time believing that pastors can be genuinely, like, good people. Or at least oh. in that scenario. Because it just fuels your ego left and right. It's like you, you have blinders on, like, yeah. the whole time. Mm. 100%. But to what you were saying prior, like... I felt the same way with church. I was on top of the world or I was the like scum of the earth. There's no in between. <laughs> and the in-betweens are, they're so nice and they're fantastic, but they also get a little boring. Is that awful to say? Like, I think yeah. I miss the toxicity <laughs> a little bit. Like I'm so used to like yeah. up and down, left and right. And now it's like, oh, I just make breakfast on Sunday morning and like go on a run. <laughs> like that's that's oh totally (laughs) no i relate to that a lot like on my mission that was kind of like those were the moments where you got really heady like that 10 percent, like that's some intense 10 percent uh you know happiness but like those moments where i was like i feel like i could do i could say anything i was in it i was feeling i could talk to anyone about anything we're doing the right thing we're doing the good work i was unstoppable it's like you're almost trying to induce a manic episode you know you're just trying to get people there man just stay there and lock them in yeah i remember this crazy thing where like we had this challenge where it's like you got to do a hundred hour week right where it's like you need to be out there proselytizing for a hundred hours throughout the week which is kind of like basically you can't eat, you know, like, and you yeah, can't are sleep. Are you in therapy? <laughs> <laughs> Not for that, <laughs> funnily enough, because I've kind of like, I've understood that was just its own thing. But um, yeah, I, I remember right. that was so hard because it's like everyone was treating as that was the way you have to do it in order to get there, to be close to God, you know? Yeah. And if you're not doing that, of course, like you're not as close. And I was just like, dude, I literally don't have the energy to do that. So if I don't have the energy to be close to God, how can, you know, then does he even want me there? You yeah. know, it's just like, Ugh. there's so many things going on. And I think the church ties yeah. into very much like white savior complex and like models like colonization a little bit. Like, mm. I feel like I always had an issue with like mission work, even though I did plenty of it. So yeah. like I, not throwing it, people under the bus and throwing myself too. No, totally. Um, I always had an issue with it because it, it just felt so 
disingenuous. Yeah. It was like, you are another number. You're another person that I'm like recruiting to the church. And that somehow equates to my value in God's eyes. But we have this like omniscient, omnipresent being that could draw people to him with, you know, if he wanted to. (laughs) I I think it it was just so interesting. Like it felt so scarily mimicking like the colonization that we've seen like across history. And obviously like the churches was born during that time. So it's, Mm -hmm. it, it was hard for me to like feel like this was something that was actually helpful, especially if it was like you meet with a family you bring them into the church. You never talk to them again. Like, it's just, yeah. it wasn't a relationship. It was a recruitment. Yeah, totally. And that's kind of kept me up at night for the stuff that I've done. Yeah, same. Like, the way we gamified people and, like, interacting with them was so nuts to me. Just, like, everything was a number. If you didn't meet that number, that was bad. And it just, it almost made you, it's like you resented yourself a little bit when you didn't get to that number, but you also resented people for not letting you yeah. get that number. You oh, know? yeah. Because you're like, you stopped me from having a good time, you know? Yes. Yeah, you said <laughs> no playing to ball. me. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. said no. So you had a boundary, and now I'm sad. And what's uh, wild is, how old were you when you were doing this? Yeah, 18 to 20. Yeah. A kid. Yeah, like, a child. A, a, a child. baby. <laughs> so young to be able to or to be put in those situations and like yeah yeah that's heavy and it was also one of those things too where it's like we are taking this very american model of what religion is and i'd say probably the lds faith is one of the most being this homegrown americanized version of christianity um and yeah a lot of people don't realize that but it's like it is the most american religion i feel like in so many ways just the way that things are talked about and you know about freedom being such a central aspect to all this and uh trying to apply that to koreans where korea is actually very christian they're about 50 percent christian and they're mm-hmm. intense they they have a lot of cults over there sure. so they they get because they're they're a very collectivist society so they really enjoy being in that group being one of the sheep and not being, I don't, I don't, why did I say that? I'm not saying they're being cheap. I'm just saying like they, they really love being part of the group and supporting the group. And sure. so like they can get really intense and get and dive down the rabbit hole if that's where they see their people going, you know? Sure. And so they'll follow pastors and stuff and end up doing a lot of crazy things. So on one side, that's a good thing if you're trying to, you know, convert people and get them in, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, on the other side, I just found that these people like, None of, like, what I said really applied to them, it felt, you oh, know? Yeah. Like, I'd talk to them all the time, and I'd be like, this doesn't really, this isn't really for you, you know? I, w- I would feel bad about it, because it just felt like this religion was so clearly for a different group of people and how they saw the world, totally. you know? yeah. And that, it just felt so unnecessary to me, you know? And I really felt like I forced so many things down people's throats, and it's like, we didn't know anything about Buddhism, we didn't know anything about yeah. Confucianism, I taught some people who are Muslim, and that was a complete just, like, departure from anything I knew about religion and how that worked. It's like, how do I even talk to this person? And the answer is you can't, really, (laughs) you know, because you basically have to tell them everything they believe is wrong in order for you to, you know, believe your thing. And I'm like, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't really sit there and be like, what you believe is completely (laughs) false. All those good experiences you've had with God (laughs) aren't as good as this one when I don't even know the experiences you've had. You know, I had a poor woman who 
through Buddhism, she was able to get over a postpartum depression. I'm sitting wow. here trying to tell her that, like, yeah, that was cool, but, like, can you imagine what this would be? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, who am I? Yeah. You know? That's so What's more crazy. American than that? <laughs> it like, really hey, is. You have a way of life. Try ours. Yeah. <laughs> like, your way of better. life is cool, but we make a lot more money, <laughs> you know? <sighs> it, that is so hard, and I, I feel like... I've had so many conversations with people from different walks of life. Um, I studied abroad in, in India in oh, college. Oh, okay, so it's like, really? Like, like a lot of introductions to Eastern religion, which was amazing. Um, yeah. But the way that they described like intimate, re- like relationships with God or experiences with God, were basically the same conversations I had in a Mormon church or in a Christian church, just with different jargon on top of it. Mm. Still an amen at the end of it. Yeah, And it, totally. it just like, and I think it was, that was kind of mind boggling to me because I was like, if there is a God, I feel like we're all worshiping the same one. We're yes. just using different avenues to yeah. get there. Um, a lot or, of technicalities. Yeah. yeah. So I, and then I just was like, I can't tell you that this isn't real because I see the way you're talking about God yeah. as a Muslim versus a Christian or a Buddhist. Like it's, it's all there. So mm-hmm. I can't, I can't tell you you're wrong. And I also can't really tell atheists that they're wrong either. <laughs> like, it's just very convoluted. No, I guess. it's so true. You're like, maybe, I don't know, man. We'll <laughs> see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know why my head is just going here right now, but it's, <laughs> but the Apostle Paul, I've always thought he's gay. Like, every time I read it, I Kate, feel like he's gay. The thorn in his side? Yeah. Like, it's. Like, he's so chapped <laughs> about people having sex. And I'm like, yes. I don't know. Like, yes. <laughs> I, when it's like I, if all of you weren't <laughs> horny, life would just be awesome. You could just be celibate like me. Yeah, you know? and I'm just like, are you for real, though, dude? I don't know. <laughs> when I came out, um, and my parents had a really hard time with it initially, um, but they're lovely and fantastic. Um, but my dad, after doing a lot of research, would always come up to me, and that was always like the connective always, piece. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. like, I think Paul could be gay. Yeah. <laughs> and like that's how he can relate Kinda to me. And I, It was cute. Like <laughs> I loved that that was like – his way of connecting with me, but like... He's like, so we're good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and there are so many people in the Bible that were gay. Like, yeah. it's there. <laughs> I just... It's there, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't fill in every detail. <laughs> we didn't keep the records as tight as they could have, but it's there. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Man, it makes me think so much about just like... Because we, we put so much on God of what we are as mm-hmm. people, right? Yeah. This idea of God, first of all, you know being this man who's just telling you, you know what, wipe out that group of people because they're just not good enough. You know, it's like, that's us. You know, yeah. that's people. Like, we do that anyway. That's that's genocide. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's genocide. Yeah. And we're perfectly capable of it right. without God and, you know, in play, right? Totally. And I don't know. I just, because it's like, I, I view God as probably someone, hope, you know, more like me than not like me. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of like having a relationship with an entity that I've never met, you know, sure. as yeah. a real person and had a conversation with. And I just find that so interesting because it's like all these people are having conversations with basically a mirror, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, yeah. I think that's why it's so easy to feel ashamed because like no one can make ourselves feel as bad as us. You oh, know? yeah. And it's like if we see God as more of a person that's kind of like us and he understands us perfectly, then it's like, if he understands us perfectly, and I'm me, and I hate me, (laughs) then that makes sense, you know? Totally. I don't know. Well, and I think, too, like, the Bible and, like, any religious text, they're 
fascinating. Like the Bible is still to this day one of my favorite books ever. Really? And I yeah, and I I think like the Old Testament is so telling of like I really think the Bible is just like people's interactions with the divine documented mm. over time as we as we learn more about ourselves. Like Old Testament, like you can see, like God is very much in alignment with like the weather and the stars and the things that they didn't understand at the time yeah and they projected that onto god's name and now fast forward into like modern times we're still projecting those same things those unknowns onto god and i'm sure 50 100 years down the road the church is going to shift on issues and perceptions and say that that god said it because i think it's as we learn about ourselves and as we interact with something bigger than ourselves that's the way we document it it's like god is the mouthpiece for this information rather than us just collecting data and growing as humans. I don't mm. know if that's like too convoluted, but no, no, that makes sense. It's just interesting to see the way that God changes through the books of the Bible, through the way that churches approach theology, mm-hmm. all of that, especially like, uh, like race is a huge one. Like we talk about segregated one. churches and um, uh, the LDS church is yeah. 1978. Like that's a very recent, you know, decision with the priesthood. Like totally. And it's, again, we have an omniscient, omnipresent God that, like, couldn't have told us from the get that, like, there's, that black people should be allowed, like, yeah. in churches. Like, I think that's what's so interesting is that we, we shift as people. In yeah. Our approach to the and we weren't asking those questions, so right. therefore we never thought about it right. at all. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I'm so like, yeah, it, it, you know, by that point, it's like, well, of course, like, we don't know what to do with gay people. And right. No one was asking about it, you know, and until I now. I can't wait to see what happens in the church in 50 years. Yeah. Like, I am willing to bet that in, you know, a couple of decades, gay people will be, like, present in congregations, in mm-hmm. leadership positions, heck, even, like, a lead pastor. Like, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Maybe for some religions, sure. But I think, like, majority of Christianity, it's already shifting to that point. Yeah for the inclusion of, of those individuals. So I'm just, I'm very curious to see what happens. It's exciting. It's yeah. super exciting. Uh, and it's like, we've, we've gone so long with there not being an answer. It's mm-hmm. not like, just like, oh yeah, that's bad. It's like, literally, we don't even know what to do with gay people. It's like, <laughs> do they stay celibate their whole lives? And we're like, maybe, but like, no one's saying that anywhere. You right. know, it's like, it's just crazy. It's like, but we have all these answers for everything else. Like, Oh man, like you're you're down on your luck. You're addicted to drugs. Like we have answers for those people and how to get them to a place where right. like it's all good, you know. Yes. And you can, you know, you have a place for them. You know exactly what to do. Yeah. But gay people is just a question mark. Yeah. You know? It's like, well, because unfortunately, yeah. we can't fix it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Conversion therapy statistics We've not tried great. Our like <laughs> hardest. Yeah. They're still gay. <laughs> still but, gay. But yeah, I that was my approach too when I was in those spaces. Like I was just gonna be celibate for the rest of my life. My mentor, the person that was doing those kind of like groups and meetings with me, she is celibate. Like that that's her path and like I mm. respect it. Um, but I don't think it's possible for everybody. So Yeah, that makes sense. Um Man, we've just been so much on this, and I'm like, I could still go on it. But like, <laughs> man, we need to like break it up a little here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me about because I know you're doing, you do all these Spartan races and all that stuff. How did you, yeah. how did you get into that? Um, is this kind of, is this a coping mechanism? You know, <laughs> what's what's the deal here? <laughs> uh, my parents are sociopaths. They're like, you know, those families that are like 
yo, we're doing the turkey trot for the 10th year in a row. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. That's my family. Yeah, that's it's it. why no one will date me because <laughs> they don't want to, you know, run with me on the weekends. Um, but yeah, so m- my dad and yeah, they're intense. My dad and my mom are incredible athletes. Um, they started doing Spartan races actually with my brother a couple years ago and then just totally fell in love with it. And mm-hmm. it was just kind of a way for me to stay connected to my family. I like being active. Yeah. But then I tried one and I was like, wait, this is it. <laughs> this is awesome. This is the high. Is yeah. it just like is it just like the the rush from doing that intense endurance activity? Is that just unique to that? I think it's just hard. Like I think Okay, it's just like yeah. the, the mental challenge of like, oh my gosh, like yeah. yeah. It's it's a lot of um for people who don't know what a Spartan race is, it's it's broken into a sprint, a super and a beast. Um so a 5k, a 10k and a half with okay. obstacles. Oh, um, okay, okay. But what's different about this Wait, race? Wait, you have to do like each of those consecutively? No, you can just They're sign d- up for Those are just yeah. like the different types. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You kind of work your way up to a beast. The beasts are awful. Yeah. Um, I've never wanted to die more in my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it's an obstacle-based race. Um, but instead of like a, a dirty dash or like a mud run, like if you fail an obstacle, you're doing 30 burpees. That's and right. And they count it out. Hmm. Um, so it's awful. And in, as much as you practice, like my, my dad and I have done like religiously practice the obstacles that we like have possibilities of failing. And I have yet to pass the spear throw in any race and I can sink it that, in practice. It's, it's like a javelin yeah. type deal. You okay. took a, a javelin, it's like 15 feet away and you have to sink it into a target and then you're good. Oh, you got to nail the target. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I can do it over and over and over in practice. And then in the race, I, cannot hit it and because by the time ta- when are you doing it in the race like have you been going for a while it depends yeah so okay they, they, they just change mix it, up. it okay yeah which is it could be the last rude. one and you're like well i can't do this <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh it's and it depends on like the venue too like there's some ugh, my poor dad did uh fort collins or no not fort collins um somewhere in colorado uh and they it was like 20 degrees outside and they made them do a half a mile swim oh and, shit like, yeah there's, wait wait how do you do that though because it's frozen right well, no, <laughs> somehow it's not like in, not frozen 20 I, degrees. legit. Like it's anyways. So, but there were people that like tapped out cause they were like getting hypothermia. I guess if it was moving water. Like it was yes. river, then it wouldn't freeze yeah. as quick. Um, but still like they're in, they're so intense. And I think that's, what's fun about it is like, I've done a lot of like I've run marathons. I've, I've done a lot of races. I played sports. Yeah. Growing up, but like this stuff is just like it just makes me mad. <laughs> it's like impossible to get a perfect race, and I think that's what's so enticing about it. Oh, I see. You're kind of going for that perfect score, kind of like the uh, yeah. what is that called? The American Ninja Warrior, where it's yeah. like it's almost like impossible to actually do the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That makes sense. See, it, it makes sense. I'm saying that, but it's like I don't. You know, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I'm like no interest at all. It's crazy. Like I have a bunch of friends training for a marathon and I'm like, that's like, cool. No. And they're all like, yeah, man, it's like so cool to be able to, and it just, all of it just goes right past me. I just yeah. like don't care, you know, <laughs> or like, I don't know. That's like the, the objective based things where it's like, I don't know. There's some people who are like, man, it's like I climbed that ma- mountain or like I've done this many 14ers and it's like, literally I don't care at all. You know, that's cool. I'm just like, (laughs) I don't know why that just doesn't land for me at all. What is that? Different people, man. Yeah, different people. (laughs) High need for achievement. You know, (laughs) maybe that's what. Maybe that's all that is. Is like, I don't even care about grades at all. You know, that bad. You know, so I don't know. Like, awful perfectionist. Okay, that's what it is. (laughs) And my whole family is like so. Okay, no, I think we found it. That's it. 
If you're a perfectionist, you're, do the Spartan race. You'll go crazy. Yeah. If you're bred for competition, that's <laughs> that's your time. That's it. That's awesome. Did yeah. you do? You've done other sports when you're younger yeah, too. Yeah, I, I played. So I ran cross and played or and cross and track, and then I played soccer mostly. Nice. So yeah, it was what, super what, fun. In cross country, the five k. What was your best time in that? Oof, I was. Dang. I, I, w- I did cross country one season. I was terrible at it. So I'm just oh, curious how, how much better you were than me. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It was for cross country for the most part. Like I did like the mile repeats and I was getting into like okay, yeah. low five minuteers. Like I was, wow. I was fast. I was quick. That's insane. Um, But yeah, like it's uh, my family's like super good distance runners but more than anything like soccer was soccer was yeah i, I started playing when i was like eight and then stopped in college so mm. i just got too many concussions really yeah just from like heading it or hitting other people it, yeah yeah both there was one time the worst concussion i've ever gotten i like went up for a corner um so i was my team was trying to score i went for a diving header oh and the defender went to kick the ball, and, and instead of kicking the ball, they kicked you. my head, and then I hit the goalpost. It's like illegal in MMA, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, like, the, she was trying to kill me. She killed I you. <laughs> um, but I remember, like, it's I like, woke up like, how is your head still that. on your shoulders? Legit. <laughs> oh I woke up, and they were like, what's your coach's name? And I was like, I, I think I called like, him, you better like, be, a woman's name. You better like, be was, joking right now. Yeah, you know? yeah. It was, <laughs> I had no idea where I was, and that was by far the worst concussion I've ever gotten. It was uh, awful. Dude, that's my fear. I do not want to get a concussion at all. Ugh. Like, I just feel like I'm working with this stack, and if I take any cards out of that thing, I'm screwed. <laughs> and there, it's the worst. Too. You can't do anything. You can't watch TV. You can't listen to music. You can't sleep. Initially. Yeah, that's right. Because then they, you might die or you whatever. Just, yeah. Yeah. Sit and disassociate. It's yeah. Really fun. <laughs> it was awful. Uh, oh my gosh. Soccer. Yeah. I, I played frisbee in high school. That was my favorite sport. Ultimate. Nice. You know, that Dope. was that was a thing. It never, never really took off that much. I thought it would get more popular. You kind of look like an ultimate frisbee. Yeah. Player. That's not like an insult. <laughs> But you do. <laughs> it's a compliment. Yeah. Um, I, I'll i get super obsessed with certain sports. Right now, it's pickleball. For whatever reason, I'm just getting obsessed with it. It's just in my mind. Pickleball. Really? You dig it's it? so fun. Man, I get so tied up with it. I played a, a bit of tennis. I took like, like four or five years of tennis lessons, did a little bit in high school. And I was just so frustrated because I could never get that good with it. Like There was these kids who started way younger than me. I spent so much more time doing it. And it takes so long to get that perfect technique down. Yeah. And it was just like, I don't know. It's like I could spend so much more time before I'd start to see an increase yeah. in ability. Pickleball is not the same. You know, no. it's like you can start <laughs> seeing immediate gains as soon as you start identifying certain things. Oh, yeah. So and pickleball is just like, it's so fun. Like, yeah. it's weirdly addicting. Yeah. I don't know why it's, and I mean, I haven't played enough pickleball or tennis to like really tell the difference, but it, it, they seem so similar. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's surprising that pickleball is like so much easier to improve. On. Yeah, it's just so much more forgiving because it's like with tennis, you're hitting that ball so much faster. Yeah. So if you just change things a tiny bit, if you hit it just a little bit wrong, gotcha. you're not even in the game. You yeah. know, you're not even competitive at all. You know, so it's like playing someone who's played like a couple years of tennis. Usually, like it's not even fun. But if you play someone who's played a couple years of pickleball, it yeah. can be really engaging. That's you know? awesome. I mean, huh. even Denali likes it, which shows that it's <laughs> kind of easy to pick up. Does she not usually like stuff like that? Denali just okay. She's not here right now, but. Denali, yeah, she, she won't listen to this at all. She won't listen to this at all. Denali <laughs> sucks at sports. But no. Whoa. 
knows her hand-eye coordination leaves a lot to be desired. Okay. Nice. She needs a lot. Yeah, she... (laughs) She needs help. I don't know. I've, I've been trying to train her. I've been trying to coach her. I, I, I just can't do it. I am obsessed with this. Yeah. I hope you don't sleep on the couch after she I watches know. this. Exactly. Watches, listens. <laughs> she's like, I listened and I heard. Um, no, she's great. I just, she's so hard to teach things, especially physical things. Because it's like, it, it, her like mind-body connection is not super strong, I feel like. <laughs> this is all, she's like never heard any of this before. So she's going to be so upset later, but... No, it's just like I feel like with certain people, some people are so good at knowing like where their body was in a certain movement, yeah. like just like the mechanics of it. Totally. I'm not that great at it. There's certain people that are just totally like they'll see someone doing something and then they'll repeat it. They yeah. knew exactly like the, how they engaged their muscles, how they were balanced. And they're just like, I'll just do that then. Yeah. For and sure. that's an incredible skill to have. And then there's other people with like a little bit of coaching can usually figure it out. Yeah. And then there's other people where it's just like <laughs> it takes so much time to be like, wait. I've been doing it wrong. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, everyone's been telling you this whole time. And this is exactly what you're doing wrong. Like, it's just no like, <laughs> no, they kind of have to come to it their, themselves. And that's totally denied. You oh, know? my gosh. It's brutal. Like, I if love you ever have to, that. If you ever have to teach her something physical, it's just be like, just be ready. We're going to be here for a while, you know. And Cheers. she won't believe you. And she'll yeah. be upset at you. And you're like, why are you mad at me? You're the one making us lose. I don't understand what's going on here. I mean, we did go <laughs> snowboarding together. and honestly, Oh, that's right. She, okay, so you know what's up. Yeah. But she did better than you thought she would. Oh, right? for, yeah, well, yeah. she went into it so cocky. Like, we drove up the mountain <laughs> and she her was other like, problem. She doesn't Yeah, know I'm like, this. dude, she was like, we should just skip the bunny hill, dog. Like, you surf, <laughs> I surf. Let's, let's just, just go. And let's I was just like, go get concussions. Straight up. I was yeah. like, we're not going to do that. And then. <laughs> so funny, dude. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she ate shit many times. I have some fantastic footage of her just like waving, getting distracted, and then just like plummeting into the snow. Like, <laughs> ugh. She's hilarious. And she totally got a concussion, too. Like, she's like, <laughs> yeah, that day she was like, my head hurts. And it she, hurt for, like, a day or two. Yeah, yeah she went down hard. I was, so I'm not funny. surprised at all. That's so funny. <laughs> she worries me a ton because she's also got, like, this risk-taking ability that's just, it, yeah. it's ludicrous because it's, like, uh, skiing, like, she'll just haul butt and do these crazy things. And I'm like, dude, like you got to know where you're at, you yeah, know? Let's, like, let's find a limit. Yeah, um, you got to know how quick you can go down that. But she, 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 she'll she, just do it. She'll just go full send on it. I admire it, though, because I feel like even outside of, like, sports, like, Denali is just, like, so good at being, like, I'm going to try this thing and, like, put everything into it. And if it doesn't work out, like, yeah, it's going to suck. Whatever. And I'm, like, so meticulous about things. Like, I'm Same. so cautious to the point where, like, I'm annoying. Yeah. And she's just, like, should we, like – Try and go off a cliff together while holding hands? I think that's a great idea. I'm like, wait. I'll do it if you'll do it. I was like, you should just strap into your board first. Let's start there. Let's see if we can do this, and then we'll talk about that. Let's see if we can stand up. Yeah. Dude, she's so like that. Like, so many times, like, with surfing, she's like, man, let's go. And I'm like, those are eight-foot waves. I was like, I don't, you don't know how to surf yet. Like, what are you talking about? Like, like, she has just like, yeah, she's just like no understanding of where she is at compared to other people and things. You I know? love it. But she's fiercely competitive. Yes, but she is. only as soon as she gets a taste of like barely being able to like, you know, beat someone. And then she's For a total sure. maniac. She becomes a tyrant, right? She's like just trash talking the whole deal. It's like, oh you scored one point, dude. Like, let's calm down a little bit. She's Let's like, yeah, but did back. you see it? Yeah, it's just like we need to build our karma first before we start trash talking, okay? Yeah, straight up. I love anyway. that. I wish I was more like her. Yeah. That, 
<laughs> she has a lot of fun. Yeah, no, she has a lot of fun. And I always look at her and I'm like, how can you be the one having the most fun here? <laughs> you're I, the it, worst one here. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, you are holding me back right now, but you're having <laughs> the most fun. And that's really bothering me. You know, I am trying to hold it together. That's so funny. Yeah. Anyway, it's good. But yeah, pickleball is a blast. Holy cow. I'm obsessed. I want to get as good as I can. Um, and I try to play as much as I can, but yeah. And then I'll totally drop things off completely. Like as soon as winter comes, I'll be like, I don't know what pickleball is. Yeah, you know? no, for sure. <laughs> the seasons, man. In Utah, it's the worst. I really don't dig it. I really hate transitioning from them because I'm like, I just started getting good at that. Right. So why are we doing this now? I, I'm the same way where I'm like, I will try a million hobbies just because I'm like, that looks so fun. And then I'll just give up. I'll just be like, that was fun for a day. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go back to what I'm good at. Like, <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Doses of spontaneity. But, but you, you're clearly like, you're competitive. You love the achievement. Um, so you clearly enjoyed school at least as much as you could be better at other people at school, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, tell oh, me your yeah. score. Tell me your score, guys. <laughs> what'd, you, what'd you get on the yeah, ACT? you get? Years ago. I'm yeah, just like still, my ego is like, when could we talk about this the ACT? This is still really important. Because <laughs> my score hasn't changed. And I know yours hasn't either. Uh, uh, yeah, it's terrible. I hate that yeah. part about me. But I also really love, again, super competitive, but like intellectually like stimulating stuff. Ugh, I love it. If I don't understand something, like, it makes me mad. Like, I have to mm. research. And um, my entire family are lawyers. Oh, um, they are. Okay. So, on my mom's side, yeah. So, it was just, like, we were always in this environment of, like, arguing and, like, oh. having, like, discourse about certain topics and yeah. politics and gotcha. religion. And, like, that's just been my whole upbringing is, like, how do you absorb as much information as possible? Mm. And I love that. So. And is that your plan? Because you were practicing for the LSAT, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I took the LSAT a couple of years ago and did really well. And then I, you know, um, got sucked into social work. Like I just fell in love with it. And the LSAT expires. Is that the It deal? expired. Yeah. 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 So now I'm, I'm restudying right now. And, and it's good for just a year. Is that it? It's, it's, it's good for, at the time it was good for three. Now it's good for five, but it's. Oh, that's been, actually pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it's since expired and which sucks because I don't think I'll ever get like that good of a score. You were on um, fire. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. I, I hate myself. <laughs> you were levitating day. in your seat. <laughs> no, straight up. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, law school I think is the next step and do something more adjacent to like poverty law because I really do love social work. Um, okay. Trying to stay in that area. Yeah. And that's uh, actually, that's how Denali and I know each other. We're both yeah. social workers. Um, but yeah, I think it's so hard to be a social worker because, like, you can do only so much, like, until, like, our systems change, until, like, bigger conversations happen. Like, yeah. we can only give our At some point, you get there resources. and you're like, if I had this, this, and this, and this, yeah, then we could do a lot more. Yeah. But right now, this is what we got. Yeah. So that's, that's the reason for the next step is just, like, I want to be in those spaces where, like, big conversations are happening. So mm, the systemic I, changes gotcha. that we need to see actually happen so you want to you want to influence legislation and policy yeah and try to get stuff done that way yeah that makes a lot of sense to me for sure i uh you know i'm not so interested in social work i i I really want to go into school and do social psychology but one of my things is like i get really frustrated with like we we live in a world where it feels like people it feels like we all have the same desires of the world that we want to see typically. Mm -hmm. Like even though we have very different ways of how we realize that, like people in general 
Don't want to see people homeless. Yeah. Don't want to see people struggling with drugs. Don't want to see young families, you know, having to rough it out and skip meals. Like none of us want to see that. We want to see kids getting good education. And yet somehow time and time again, we keep letting that happen. And um, I just feel like, you know, our institutions are so good at at making us focus on issues that are not important at all. Like no one cares about, but we're Mm -hmm. pretending we care about them. You know, it's just like, I I feel like the discussion was already finished on abortion, was already finished on gay rights for a a minute. You know, we kind of all felt that way. Now we're back into it. Not because we're that I feel like people are really concerned about that right now, but because it's something to rally people behind, Mm -hmm. you know, so much like just like just in the opposition. It's just like, I don't think, you know, suddenly all, you know, it's the biggest deal for people that like, oh my gosh, like kids might be talking about, you know, gay kids in school right now. It's like, I really don't think people really care about that that much. Oh, yeah. But it's just a thing to rally people behind and get them emotionally worked up. Culture wars are insane to me. Yeah. That we're still having, like, the same... We are having the same conversations, exactly what you said. Like, it's Groundhog Day, like, every day. Yeah, and, like, the fact that we, especially, like, in Utah legislation, like, we had... That bill passed because we had one trans youth that wanted to play sports. And that's, like that's right. Yes, I just read about that. So much space over one child who just wanted to play sports. When we have so many other issues, like the housing crisis, yeah. people experiencing homelessness like in, in our state, and, like, and so many other issues, it's just like mind-boggling to me that we just throw these like very flashy topics. It's almost like red herrings just to distract the public from change that could actually be happening like yeah. the fact that we don't talk about climate change or half of our politicians don't even believe it's real is like hilarious to and me. i feel I'm, like it's only not real to them because that would just be so inconvenient right now <laughs> exactly. you know it's just like because it's like then we'd have to talk about that and acquiesce to these demands getting yeah. rolled in with these other packages and i'm just here going like yeah but literally everyone would be stoked though Right. Like yeah. even people who don't even believe it's real yeah. benefits from addressing that. Yeah. You know, I think it's just a direct threat to capitalism. Yeah. And that's a hundred percent what America thrives on. Or just, you know, just unmitigated growth. You know, yeah. it's like, we could still be capitalist guys. Like, no one's saying we don't have to. It's just like, let's just stop growing at all costs and understand that that's going to be a problem that we need to deal with right now. Yeah. I don't know. It's so frustrating. And so it's interesting that, like, that's what you want to go into or, like, continue to pursue. Yeah, I, I just, like, I don't know. Like, I'm so, like, I, I don't have the compulsion or, I guess, you know, really that desire or drive, like, a social worker to be really, like, engaged with the people. Like, I don't need to see people in order to help them. Sure. Like, that's kind of my thing. Like, when I was in school and I was doing psychology, it was, like, I took some classes on, like, you know, clinical psychology and being a therapist. And even though it was something that I felt like I wasn't bad at, I was like, I'd never be able to do this because I just don't have that real desire to be there in the room with someone having that conversation, even though I think they totally deserve help and all that stuff. It's just like, I'm just not really that guy. I can't get my, my teeth into it. Um, or my head we have a it. need for those like behind the scenes people too. Like the, just as yeah. much as we do those, those frontline staff, like I think that's what's so hard. I actually think it's harder to find people who are invested in social work or like social policy that want to just be like the stage crew almost and like doing this, this stuff behind the scenes and not having to have that FaceTime. Like I actually feel like it's harder to find people who are better at that. 
Yeah. So I'm grateful for it. It's cool. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I was reading a book recently where, you know, it was some research about, you know, it was like political ideology, but also like personal traits that influence it. And it was this whole deal about cognitive load. So essentially, like, we're all more conservative, the more cognitive load we have, which means like if you're if you're hungry, you're way more likely to vote conservative. If you're tired, you know, if you've been, you know, upset at someone recently, if there's a bad smell in the room, you can actually make people vote a little bit more conservative. And uh, it's just like little things like that. It's just like I kind of just want to open up a little bit how we're, we're our worst selves under certain conditions, you know, mm-hmm. and we're, we're the least appreciative and understanding of other people um, if we let certain conditions and beliefs prevail. And I just really want to kind of just contribute as much as I can to that idea that um, if we start viewing people situationally rather than individually, like saying that person is, you know, they're either good or bad, you know, viewing them in dichotomous mm-hmm. terms rather than all these situations affect what behavior might be produced by that individual. Then I feel like we can start having a real conversation about how to influence how good our society can be in terms of um, humanity, you know? Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. yeah, I just, you know, I, and that's all I can really do. And um, just right now I see how there's books being published and produced from people in psychology in these fields that are having either really positive or detrimental effects on the way people view themselves. And, you know, I, one recently was The Coddling of the American Mind, which, I- in short, I believe is actually incredibly damaging to the American psyche. I think it mm-hmm. makes us worse people because I think it makes us feel like we are um, we're allowed to judge people, right, mm-hmm. is essentially the argument that he proposes. And I feel like the fewer, b- the more challenges we have to things like that, the more we can get on them more even plane and so that's, that's what i want to do that's my my focus but that's amazing yeah you know but it, it helps so much to have someone you know like denali like you to talk to and really get into what actually happens when you're interacting with people like that yeah absolutely it's a little intense for me you know like <laughs> I, I just feel like it's so much to be able to actually see human suffering personally yeah and see what it's doing to people and I don't know, maybe that's what he's trying to say in the coddling of the American mind. Maybe I'm a little <laughs> coddled that way. Like, I kind of want to be a little insulated, you know? Sure, or, yeah. I think that's really, well, like, the way the things that you describe, like, that feels more overwhelming to me mm. than to meet with clients in person. Like, and so yeah. I, I do think that there's just different people with different skill sets. But I do appreciate that there's, like, people like yourself and, and like you said, psychologists who are, are taking a different approach to these issues of, like, if we don't understand human behavior of like how these systems and and how humans in general, how their brains work, there's no way we're going to be able to eradicate like these, these big issues because we don't understand them. Like Mm -hmm. as much as we throw policy on top of it with good intentions or poor intentions, like we're still an amalgamation of honestly, like inherently bad people sometimes. And we have selfish motivations and, money and capitalism and politics is just a game and unfortunately like the people who don't have those privileges of being in those spaces like they don't get to speak for themselves they don't to ex- they don't get to explain how they got to where they are and i think like creating structures or like educational per- resources where we can learn the ins and outs of those type of things are going to be so beneficial in the long run because mm-hmm. as long as privilege is in the game which it always will be um Maybe, I guess. That's a good question. Um, yeah. As long as privilege is prevalent, like we're not going to hear from those the people that we need to hear from the most because that's going to make the biggest amount of change. So I think that's really cool. Absolutely. Um, 
D- do you watch the show Atlanta at all? No, but I've heard really good okay, things. Okay, okay. Well, I, I won't get into that. He just is the most recent episode that came out was mind blowing. It was kind of like a like what reparations would look like in America nice. kind of thing. I don't think at all he was saying this is how it's supposed to go or would go. I think he's just kind of saying like um, it's kind of sad that we live in a world that is some people's dream and other people's nightmare, you know? Mm. And yeah. if we flipped it around, if all of a sudden we flipped the tables, it would be the same. It would be a yeah. lot of people's nightmare and other people's dream, right? 100%. Yeah. And I'm just like, we, ca- we can't keep living in a world like that, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I, I really subscribe to the idea that like equality means everyone being equally uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Yes. Like we yeah. all have to like deal with a little bit of discomfort and yeah. things. It's like, you know, all the sexual harassment training. It's like, yeah, like you should feel <laughs> a little bit uncomfortable or at least you'd be questioning what you're saying, you yes. know, more. Yeah. And that's not bad. No. That's, that's good. That's a good thing. It is good to be uncomfortable We shouldn't feel, think we can be our most impulsive selves all the time and that, yeah. that's got to be okay with everybody. Totally. You know? Yeah. And so – Living in a world where everyone's just a little bit closer to that middle and mm-hmm. everyone's working with each other and it's a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe things are a little bit less efficient, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe not everything at work gets done as fast, but at least everyone's part of the conversation. Totally. That just feels a lot better. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And especially <laughs> like, I mean, to know, like we're both two white people having yeah. this conversation about reparations and like, and I think we both feel very strongly in like the, you know, black people or lower income or people who don't have as much privilege, like deserve those reparations. It's just so frustrating that like people like us, maybe like with our class or our race um, being white, like don't even want to give an inch Mm. like to those people, especially after everything they've been through, like with this country, which is still incredibly racist in policy and in practice and um, all of that good stuff. (laughs) But it, it is, that's so hard for me that like even the conversation of everybody being equally uncomfortable is too much. Yeah. They're so used to maintaining their power and their privilege that anything less than that would be devastating. Like that is wild to me. Like it's just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. And like, if if you're having like a violent knee jerk reaction to like any proposal that involves an (laughs) increase in taxes, it's like, you need to examine that a little bit. Cause it's like, you're really upset by no matter what it is that you could be possibly contributing to or paying for. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just no matter what it is, it's just not enough. Like it's not acceptable to you in any way. And I'm like, really? Like there's so (laughs) many things worth paying for. There's so many incredible things that would be a beautiful opportunity to contribute to. And that's, I think kind of what this guy says in this episode is that like, it would be kind of a, it would be an incredible opportunity to do something like reparations because he's like, then yep. you no longer feel cursed as a person who benefited off of that, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you get to finally say sorry, if that makes sense, yeah. right? And I don't know, like, it's kind of like the, uh, oh man, what is that? It's like the Desmond Tutu and is like, it's like the, what is it? Is it Truth and Reconciliation? Is that what it is? I can't remember. It's just this program where you like, where they've had genocide, like, has people have conversations where they, like, they basically mm. apologize. It's like nothing really happens beyond that. Like, no one goes to prison or anything, really. Sure. But he's just, like, making people talk and be like, hey, I'm sorry, that's actually horrible that that happened, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, we still need that. Like, yeah. we're still so we scarred, you yeah. know? People still need to say sorry, and we're going to be having this these same conversations over and over again if people 
don't feel apologetic. And yeah. if people don't get apologies, you know, I yeah. just, that was crazy. I think, um, I don't know if you've, if you're like a TikTok person, um, but the, there's this group, um, on the BYU's campus called Black, oh. the Black Menaces. Denali is a TikTok person. I look over that shoulder. Uh, yeah. that group is fantastic. Cause I think yeah. they ask these really intentional questions to people that are fairly conservative. Mm. Um, and I think they asked something to the effect of like, do you think privilege is real and do you have it? Um, and it was, the responses were just so confusing to me, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but I think there's like, as an approach, like as a white person, I feel very strongly about the fact that like, we need to be allies, like whether I hate the argument of like, well, I didn't participate in slavery. Yeah. Of course you didn't, but you're benefiting off of it still yeah. years and years later. Like the you'll keep benefiting, you know, yes. as long as there's a disparity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so I think like it's so weird to me that there's somehow this void that people with privilege nowadays, like can't recognize that like history as much as it is distant and far away is still affecting our lives today and definitely still affecting Mm. black families uh, in the U S. And the fact that obviously like you didn't, you're not the one who made the decision (laughs) to do these really hateful, horrible things. However, those systems are still in place and still being eradicated that you're benefiting from. So what are you doing politically, socially to advance equality? Um, yeah. And the fact that we can't even say, a lot of people can't even say like, oh, I have privilege mm. and apologize for that is horrendous yeah. that we don't see the connection to that. And I, and I think a lot of that is just like a lack of awareness. And why would you challenge your own privilege? Like, why would you want to have those hard conversations? Why would you want to take any sort of responsibility when it takes something from you? And I think that's kind of what we're seeing, especially in that group. Like, those kids are brave. I don't think I would do have those conversations on BYU's campus. No but um, Yeah. It was cool to see, like, some people saying, like, oh, yeah, I 100% have privilege. It's like, I'm, and I'm always going to have privilege. And then having some people, again, they're engaging with black students. So, like... Yeah, yeah, that puts like, them on edge. Um, yeah, I haven't done enough research. <laughs> like, like it's, it's like, like clearly you don't think you're like. Privilege. I want to say no, <laughs> but you're not white, and I feel like right. this might not go my way. <laughs> so I think like the first step, it's terrible we haven't even taken it, is recognizing that like our systems are still broken, yeah. and there's so much privilege yeah. that you know most most of us have in the states, and like we're not even there yet. Yeah. Like that's how frustrating would that be like for our, our friends, like our black indigenous people of color mm-hmm. neighbors that we're not even there. Like I can't even imagine what that's like. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's privilege that is born from someone else's disadvantage, right? It yeah. always goes hand in hand there. And if like, if no one really had a leg up on the other, it would just like all kind of meet in the middle a lot more and we talk about like the American middle class, it's like that middle class is not so middle, you know? Yeah. It's just like that is, it's pretty privileged to be in the middle class, you know, for lots of people. And so I feel like our understanding of like what that world would look like and where people should be is really wild because I think people get so threatened because they think if you if they admit to having privilege, it's uh, it's some kind of mark against their ability to succeed or mm-hmm. provide in some yeah. way. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's more of like a masculine trait, like this idea of just like 
you have to be the provider and you do it all by yourself and you mm-hmm. never needed anyone help. It's like a threat against your independence. Right. Which is interesting because I think we're all so interdependent as people. Definitely. You know? It's like yeah. I benefit from so many things that I've never done. I benefit from like having an iPhone. I had nothing to do with that, you know. It's just like there's so many things that we benefit from in our society that we didn't do. Right. And uh, I don't know. But anyway, we could just keep talk all day. About <laughs> yeah, privilege is. It just, just keeps going. No, it's so hard because it's like, how do you explain to somebody who is white and has had to work so hard for the things that they have? Yeah. And like, it, to them, it sounds like an insult to say like, oh, like you have privilege, and and you know, it's always like, but I worked mm. my butt off for this. Like you did, but your skin color wasn't a barrier to you. Yeah. And that's what we're talking about, and I I think it's. Yeah, it's it's sad that we're not there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just thinking. I'm looking at our time here. We're <laughs> at we're at one hour twenty, which is pretty good. That's a pretty solid time. Um, there's still so many things I would like to talk about, but we j- we gotta tie it up. We, yeah, we can do another part some other time. But this has been awesome, Keith. Thank you so much for being on. Um, this has helped me, you know, think a lot about tons of things that have been on my brain recently. And, uh, yeah, I'm so grateful about, you know, what you're doing and everything you've had to go through to get to here and be such a, you know, uh, an integral part of our society and the things you want to do. It's awesome. It's sad. It has to be so intense sometimes <laughs> in order to get there, yeah. but it's so cool to see that process and everything. So just thank you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. It was good conversations. So cool. Well, I'll be seeing you around. <laughs> okay. We'll see you.